So we're starting a new sermon series today, Strengths for the Journey. And I'm going to be talking about several things that we need so that life will go well, a balance in life that we have to have. And what I mean by the journey is you're beginning with Jesus till you go to see him or he comes back. All along the way, it's a journey and uh, we need sustenance, we need strength. And today I want to talk to you about the thing we need. It's called grace, grace for the journey. Without grace, you'll become bitter, you'll be unforgiving, or you'll be harsh. There was a biography of a a German poet named Heinrich Hein. And this is what he said in his biography. He, He lived in the 1800s. He said, my nature is the most peaceful in the world. All I ask is for a simple cottage, a decent bed, good food, some flowers in front of my window, and a few trees beside my door. Then... If God wanted to make me complete, he, completely happy, he would let me enjoy the spectacle, spectacle of six or seven of my enemies dangling from those trees. I would forgive them all the wrongs that they have done me from the bottom of my heart, for we must forgive all of our enemies, but not until they are hanged. I don't want you to carry a philosophy that looks anything like that through life, because bitterness defiles many. I I don't even know if he meant that seriously. I hope he was joking. But boy, if we're not careful, we can be people that don't carry grace for ourselves or others through life. We don't want to even be remotely like that. When someone does something wrong, here's a question for you and I. When someone does something wrong, do you want to see them punished or would you rather see God restore and heal? When someone who's done something wrong to you, would you rather see them punished or see them restored and healed? 2 Peter 3.18 lets us know it doesn't matter where we are in life. It doesn't matter how long you've been serving Jesus. You have to keep growing in this thing called grace. It says this, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We're gonna talk about growing in grace and grace for the journey today. Father, I ask that your Holy Spirit would come and move in our hearts. Lord, we have so many beliefs that are uh, good, and then we have all of us, just a few, that are just out of whack. They're not, they're not right where you are. And we need your, your truth to set us free so that we might be blessed in a blessing. So help us today to understand, receive, and give grace. In Jesus' name, amen. Three things I want to talk to you about today when it comes to grace. And the first is this, Jesus offers everyone his grace. We have to be careful about this as believers. The the longer you know the Lord, uh, you you have to be careful not to just um, despise those people who don't live right. And and you you know, uh, you have to be careful. uh, you know, many, many Christians are, are, are conservative, and so they'll watch Fox News. I'm going to tell you, Fox News will make you hate some people, man. Uh, you know, even if there's some truth there, they, they come harsh. And we have to be careful to know what we want to do is win people, right? And, and Jesus won us with his grace, and he wants us to know that he wants us to think about everyone receiving his grace, everyone coming to him. Romans 10, 13 says, for whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Whoever. 
Revelation twenty two seventeen. the spirit and the bride say, come, let anyone, emphasis on anyone who hears this say, come, let anyone who is thirsty come, let anyone who desires drink freely from the water of life. Some of us, and maybe others who are here at one time thought, we really have done too much, too much wrong, too much sin for God to really want us. But boy, all you have to do is follow Jesus through the Bible and you can see that he reached to people who had some big issues and some big problems. And he offered his grace to every one of them. How about the woman caught in adultery? You know that story well, right? Where they've gathered her, uh, they've circled around her, they've got stones in their hands, they're gonna do with what the Old Testament law says, they're going to stone her and kill her. And by the way, they didn't do that to the men, just the women. I, it's it, ridiculous. But Jesus always sets things right. When he shows up, he sets things right. And, and so he protects her. He says, let the one without sin cast the first stone. They all walk away. And he says to her, who condemns you now? And she said, no one. And he said, neither do I condemn you. Now go and leave your life of sin. Unbelievable grace. This, this woman, uh, many Many who are scholars think that she was probably a prostitute. And Jesus, you know, that's probably why he says, go and leave your life of sin. It's speaking of a lifestyle, uh, particularly in that passage. And yet grace incredibly is offered to her. And he offers it to everyone that way. How about the woman at the well? Here again, Jesus is setting things right. Samaritans were considered half-breeds and some of the Jews were, uh, were Jewish people were racist and they wouldn't, they wouldn't even talk to them because they weren't pure-blooded uh, Israelites or, or Jewish people. Uh, so, so to talk to a Samaritan was a no-no. And Jesus started talking to the Samaritan in public. But not only that, he talked to a woman and you weren't supposed to talk to women. Uh, once again, that culture had it wrong where they were oppressing women, putting them down, making them feel bad. And Jesus meets openly not caring what people say and he talks to her. And he offers her love and conversation. He says, I'll give you water where you're thirst no more. And, and, and they talk about that. And, and she's saying, how will you do this? And then he speaks to her about the truth that would set her free. And he says, the truth is, you've been married five times and the man you're with now is not your husband. And she said something real profound because it was true. She said, I perceive that you're a prophet. Yeah, I'll say, you know, that's, that's a pretty good guess. If not, he was God. And yet in that moment, he loved her so well that she ran away from that place saying, come see this man who told me everything about me. What she's saying is he's full of love and, and I think he's the way. And many people came to Christ and she was a catalyst for that because of the way he loved her. How about Zacchaeus, the tax collector, the most uh, hated people among the people in those days was the tax collector because they would, they would take so much money from the people, not only what the government required, but the tax collectors in those days would add a certain percentage for themselves and they were considered outright thieves. Thieves. And, and so Jesus says, Zacchaeus, come down today, I'm gonna be in your house. And people saying, well, what's he doing with sinners? Well, what he did was he offered a moment of grace to a guy that was, was uh, an outright impure thieving, manipulating person. I mean, think of the person that's cheated you the most in life and business. Probably not a good thought for you in this moment. God wants to offer them grace. God wants them to turn it around 
And Jesus reached to Zacchaeus and Zacchaeus was so moved by the love of Jesus Christ that would forgive him in those moments, the love of God, that he said, I'll sell everything and give it to the poor. Isn't it true? I mean, if you've been around long, you've seen people at an altar or they come forward at a church, they've been changed. I've been at camps and youth conventions where I've seen lives that were so burdened with sin, so weighed down thinking God would never want them. In a moment, the love of God would flood them as the spirit of God touched their hearts and the weight of all that sin is lifted off and they're ready to make immediate life change. That's what happened to Zacchaeus. That's what the love of God, the grace of God does. God's grace was offered to Moses, the murderer, who eventually became a great leader for the people of Israel. God's grace was offered to the brothers of Joseph who sold their brother into slavery. And God offered his grace through Joseph himself that they might be forgiving and experience what a forgiving God is like. No matter where you are today, no matter what you've done or what you've been through, Grace can find you there and change your life. God can forgive you. You know, there's two theological camps when it comes to salvation. Um, one's called eternal security, and, 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 and the eternal security means this, that once saved, you're always saved, you can never fall back. And then there are, there are those who feel, uh, there's an Arminian camp, they call it, and that's just the guy who came up with this theological thought first. The Arminian camp will say, well, no, you can fall away, you can slip and fall. I don't want to argue with people about those two things, but one thing we know in the Bible that we see for sure is people who live a lifestyle of sin willfully, continually, and deliberately are not in Christ, and both sides would say that's true. No change, this side over here, the, the, the eternal security would say, no change, no Jesus. And, and I, well, I said that to say this. Now, I, I, I know Jesus reaches and Jesus wants to help us, but I grew up, so much so in the early days with, and, and God bless my mom and dad, they're awesome and I love them. They did so many things right and the preachers in those days, I don't really want to knock them, but none of us get it 100% right, right? Every one of us have a blind spot. I have a blind spot and I'd like to tell you what it is, but I don't know because it's a blind spot, all right? Um, so, so none of us have that all together, right? But one of the ways they miss it in the early days is they, they taught us eternal insecurity, right? I mean, you make one mistake and you're not saved. You're golfing, you cuss, Jesus comes, you're left behind, you burn in hell, sucker. That's the way that we were, that we were raised. It can't be. God's better than that, right? I mean, he, he, will, he will love us and he'll help us through. He's a forgiving God. Ephesians 1, 7 says, he's so rich in kindness and grace that he purchased our freedom with the blood of his son and forgave our sins. Some people have sinned so greatly, they believe God doesn't want them and they're afraid to come to him because they're sure he would say no and his people would reject them too and they don't want the shame. Max Lucado, in one of his books, tells the story of Maria, a Brazilian, and her daughter, Christina. Christina wanted to see the world. They lived in a small village and she was discontent in that little home they had, sleeping on a pallet on the floor and just a wash basin, no, no running water, and a, a wood-burning stove. And she dreamed of a better life in the city, and she ran away. And I'll read from this book now by Max Lucado. One morning, she ran away, breaking her mother's heart. Her mother knew what life on the streets would be like for a young, attractive daughter. So Maria quickly packed to go find her daughter. On her way to the bus stop, 
She went to a drugstore to get one last thing, pictures. She sat in a photograph booth, closed the curtain, and spent all the money she could on pictures of herself. And with her purse full of small black and white photos, she got on the bus to Rio de Janeiro. And Maria knew Christina, her daughter, had no way of earning money. She also knew that she'd become vulnerable to the worst of the worst. And she thought that her daughter would be too stubborn to give up and come home. So mom began to search for her in the bars and the nightclubs and any place with the reputation for streetwalkers and prostitutes. At each place, mom left her picture taped on a bathroom mirror, tacked to a hotel bulletin board, or fastened to a corner booth. On the way, rather on the back of each photo, she wrote a note. And it wasn't long before Maria's money and pictures ran out and mom had to go home. The tired mother cried as the bus began its journey back to her small village. A few weeks later, Christina was coming down the stairs. This is the daughter now. In a seedy hotel. And her young face was tired. Her brown eyes no longer danced with youth, but spoke of pain and fear. Her laughter was broken. Her dream had become a nightmare. A thousand times she had longed to trade all the countless beds for that secure little pallet in her home. And yet the little village seemed so far away, she didn't feel like she could go back. As she reached the bottom of the stairs, her eyes noticed a familiar face. She looked again, and there on the lobby mirror was a small picture of her mother. Christina's eyes burned and her throat tightened as she walked across that room, removed that small photo from the mirror, And written on the back of it was a message from her mother that said this. Whatever you've done, whatever you've become, it doesn't matter. Please come home. I like that story because I think it carries the very heart of Jesus Christ. Who would say to any person, no matter what they've done, whatever you've done, whatever you've become, it doesn't matter. Please come home. Some would say, well, what about the unpardonable sin? Let me tell you what I believe the unpardonable sin is. It's continually rejecting the Holy Spirit's witness that Jesus is the way. It's continually refusing to receive Jesus Christ your whole life long. You can't be forgiven of that. You have to come to him. But in this life, no matter what you've done, if you will come to him, you can be forgiven of it all and the slate can be wiped clean. That is amazing. doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter what you've become. We can always come home to him and he'll receive us. Second Peter 3, 9, the Lord isn't really being slow about his promise as some people think. No, he's being patient for your sake. He does not want anyone to be destroyed but wants everyone, emphasis on everyone, to repent. The grace of God is for every person. Second thought today. As believers, we need ongoing grace, right? I, I, I mentioned that we're, we're not perfect. We, we don't want to have e- eternal insecurity instilled in our lives where, where we're so hard on ourselves and, and so rigid because the way you, you think that God deals with you is the way you will deal with other people. Let me say that again. This is so important that you receive his grace for you and even in times that you make mistakes because the way you think he is towards you is the way you will be towards other people. We have to have this grace in our hearts that we have to receive it or we'll not be able to give it. 
Romans 3.10 says, no one is righteous, not even one. No person has it all together. You come to Jesus, you still make mistakes and you still sin. Now, I, I believe it's impossible to be sinless, but I believe you can sin less and less every day. I believe that there's a sanctifying truth in the Bible where when we trust God and we take his grace, his grace is so awesome that it not only forgives it, it enables us to do the right thing. And yet the Bible tells us there's not even one righteous, still yet. Philippians 3.12, I do not mean that, I've already, that I am already as God wants me to be. I've not yet reached that goal. This is a great man of God who was writing the scriptures under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And he says, I can't completely get there but I continue trying to reach it and make it mine, that goal. And that, I think there should be effort because where we have a will, he gives us power. I like to say it takes willpower, your will and his power. And yet, you're going to make mistakes along the way. Now this is important because you can do these kinds of things. You'll beat yourself up. You'll say, I can't do it. You might even wanna quit and stop going to church because you've made some mistakes. Well, there's not one that's righteous. I don't know where you got this idea that everybody does everything right. I don't do everything right. I still make mistakes. I still have sin in my life. I think I have less than I once had, but it's an ongoing thing where I'm growing and I'm becoming more and more like him every day. That's the goal. And here's the man of God saying, I haven't reached that goal yet. And you never will. We see in a glass dimly. We, we, we will not be made perfect. Only one was perfect on this earth. And it's Jesus. Jesus was perfect. Never knew any sin. Fully God, fully man. But the rest of us make mistakes. And I say that so you can know this. Take the ongoing grace that he offers. Take it and receive it and let the heaviness be lifted that the enemy would beat you with condemnation with. Get with people who are loving. Let them speak into your life and help you overcome. Get better, but if you run away, you won't get better. You know, one of the things I like about our life groups is people are real in those life groups, right? And um, if they're having some struggles, they can share it. And if they've made a mistake, you know what's, what the awesome thing is? An awesome thing is to, to sin and to share it with the brother or sister. You know what the Bible says? Confess your sins to one another so that you might be what? Let me try that again. Confess your sins to one another so that you might be, okay, three people know it. So maybe I should preach on this. That you might be healed. So instead of hiding it, we understand that we're, none of us are perfect, but the grace of God forgives and the grace of God enables and somehow healing comes where we're not falling back into those things that we once did if we're real. And in life groups, they pray for one another. You love one another. In small groups, when you get together with the right kind of people, they love and they help you overcome. And you find yourself making less mistakes, not more because of this. The prodigal son found out he could come home. David, the adulterer, the murderer, found out God would still use him in a great way because they received the grace of God. Peter, who denied Jesus three times, was ready to quit. And the angel said, hey, tell the disciples and Peter to come. And Peter, you know why the and Peter was the tag? 
Because Peter probably would have said, I blew it. I denied him three times. I walked with him. I saw him heal. I saw his miracles. I felt his touch and I still turned away from him in those moments. I'm not worthy. So the angel said, hey, and Peter, tell him to come because he's forgiven. And he becomes a leader of the church. I mean, look, look who God chooses as his leaders. We think it's always gonna be perfect people. He chose David. Just talked about the trouble he had. He chose Moses, who killed a man, murdered. He chose Peter, who denied him, who cut off a guy's ear. This is not the Christian way, right? Let me stand up for Jesus. Ha, you know. Jesus says, no. I think he was trying to split the melon and he wasn't good with his sword. He's a fisherman, so he got an ear and Jesus puts the ear back on. Not that way, Peter. You're, really, you're gonna use these people to be the leaders? How can this be? Because they get forgiven. Because the grace of God that saves changes. Titus 2, 11, 12, the grace of God that leads to salvation teaches us to say no to all forms of ungodliness. Grace not only forgives, it enables. We need to receive it and be forgiven and then the enablement comes in an amazing way. <clears throat> His grace leads to oncoming changes, ongoing changes that make, that, that, that make us get better and better. James 3.2 says this, the New Century Version, we all make many mistakes. Let me stop there for a moment and say, there was once a teacher in one of our schools, I'd been here a couple years at the church, it was Grace Community then on the Saggart site, and one of the teachers in our school who'd been teaching for us for a number of years came to me after a service one day and declared that she had received Christ that morning. That was wonderful and terrible to me in the same moment, and you can see why, right? She's teaching at the Christian school, and she, she's telling me she just came to Jesus. And so I'm trying to rejoice and figure it out at the same time, right? And she told me this, I thought, she said, Pastor, I'm ashamed to admit it, but I really thought that I had never sinned. Well, the Bible says all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. You can't, you can't find the grace you need unless there's an admittance that, that you, you need to be forgiven. We all make mistakes. If people never said anything wrong, they would be perfect and able to control their entire selves too. And that passage is talking about the tongue, but it's true in all areas. We make mistakes. Take the grace of God. You say, you know, people, people could take advantage of this kind of grace that you're talking about, Pastor. You know, they could just sin more and more. Not, I, I don't think that's true if you really understand how awesome he is and what grace really is. Think of it this way. I, I heard another preacher say this, but I'm going to use it uh, inserting myself and my wife, Karen, today. So I, honestly, I've never even been close to committing adultery. Not, not even close. I, I don't meet with women alone anywhere. That, that is something that's been going for, uh, I think, 19 years. That if, people, if a woman wants to meet alone, I don't. You know, someone has to be there. And um, it's not because I don't trust them or don't trust myself, uh, although greater men of God than me have fallen, I'll tell you that. Uh, it's, it's, it's just because I want to be safe and I want to be careful. And, and I don't even want the words to be spoken. Sometimes words are spoken when there isn't anything, right? So I'm just really careful. 
And my wife is the same way, but as, as, I, as I look at my wife, I want to tell you something. Karen Russell is a better Christian than I am. She reads the Bible more. She's got more of this stuff I'm trying to get called grace. She's so full of the fruit of the Spirit. She's an amazing woman. She is so forgiving. And I think that if I committed adultery against Karen Russell, that she would forgive me. However, because Karen Russell is so amazing, because she's so full of love, and she's so full of grace, and she loves me so well, I would never want to do that to her. Now let's take that to God. When this kind of grace is offered to us, where we can be forgiven from all these terrible things, that we've done in our past, as we go to our future and we realize that we have felt the grace, that we've felt the empowerment, that we feel the life change and what's happening in people around us because we've made changes and we see what conversion really means. We see that we're changed and we apply these things to our life. After we live in that and we've experienced the grace, it makes us never want to turn against him. Real grace makes us want to follow him with our whole hearts because he's so amazing. So if we're taking grace the right way, this forgiveness, it just causes us to say, Lord, I want to be pure. I want to be closer to you because you're so awesome to me. During the building of the Golden Gate Bridge many years ago in San Francisco, construction fell behind greatly behind their time frames, their schedules, because three men fell to their deaths while they were working. That might slow you down a little bit as a worker to see your buddy fall, right? And they fell to their deaths. The engineers and administrators um, found that the work slowed down tremendously. And it was because men were fearful that they would fall. And someone came up with the idea, let's build a huge net to go completely under the bridge. And it'll be a safety net. And the cost was so great, at first they didn't want to consider it. But they were going so slow and the men weren't working that they decided, even though the cost is great, we should do this. So they built this massive net under the Golden Gate Bridge. And as the workers worked, two more fell, but the net caught them. Work was slow until those two guys fell. After they fell and the net caught them, all the other workers were encouraged to know that they would not fall to their deaths. And so their schedules picked up and their confidence picked up and their fear went away and they zoomed ahead and met all schedules for the future. I tell that story because I want us to think of God's grace the same way. You'll make some mistakes. But the grace of God will catch you. You may fall, but he still loves you. And he wants you to know that he's got you. It's enough to keep you as well. It's enough to change you, to be more and more like him, to experience that kind of love. John 1.16, from the fullness of grace, we've received one blessing after another. Third thing, so God wants everyone to receive grace. We need ongoing grace But here's something the church really needs. If we're gonna reach the world, we have to offer God's grace to others. And we tend to think they're just bad people who do wrong things and we don't wanna have anything to do with them. 
That's not the way Jesus walked. Jesus walked right into the places where all the people who were full of sin were. And he loved on them. Micah 6.8 says this, O people, the Lord has told you what is good, and this is what the Lord requires of you. So look at that verse up there, and I've got two things underlined for your notes there. Whatever follows that first sentence is important because the Bible says that God requires of you, of, of you this. Not that he suggests it. Not that he thinks it's a good idea. Not that it'll just bless you. He says, you are required to do this. This is it's what he says. This is what he requires of you. To do what is right, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. Let's emphasize this morning loving mercy. Grace is getting what you don't deserve. Mercy is not getting what you do deserve. You've done something wrong, you deserve punishment, but you don't get it. That's mercy. You're pardoned. And God says to us, I want you to love mercy. All these people who've done wrong things, I, would you rather see them go to hell or would you rather see them healed and changed? I want you, God says, to love mercy. <clears throat> Why does he require it? James 2.13, because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who's not been merciful. Wow, that's a New Testament scripture. Judgment without mercy will be shown to me if I'm not merciful. And then this thought, mercy triumphs over judgment. Do you want the one living that sinful lifestyle to change? Do you want the one who's wounded you to be healed? Because hurt people hurt people. That person that you have hatred in your heart for that hurt you badly was badly hurt by someone else. And God says that he wants us to know that mercy is required of us and it triumphs over judgment. Now granted, people have to receive his grace and mercy. But you know what? It's easier to give grace and mercy when you remember where you came from. Ephesians 2, 7, so God can point to us, that's you and me, in all future ages as examples of the incredible wealth of his grace and kindness. He can point to me as an incredible example of his grace. He can point to you as an incredible example of his grace because all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. As shown in all he has done for us who are united with Christ Jesus. John Newton, on being asked his opinion on a subject he asked when I was young, or he answered, when I was young, I was sure of many things. There are only two things that I'm sure of now. One is that I am a miserable sinner, and the other is that Jesus is an all-sufficient Savior. So believers don't look down their nose at people who don't know Jesus. We're just beggars telling other beggars where to find bread. We remember where we came from. I don't want to make you think of the worst moments of your sin, but I do want you to remember the grace of God that was applied. John Newton, the man who said that, wrote the song Amazing Grace. Why is that song sung so much? Because the guy who trafficked slaves and sold human beings 
repented, turned his life around, and understood grace incredibly, so much so that he could write about it in a fashion where we would sing it from generation to generation. Ephesians 2.8, God saved you by his grace when you believed, and you can't take credit for this. Sometimes we think we've been so good, God really liked us and, ta- and took us. You can't take credit for this. It's a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we've done, so none of us can boast about it. C.S. Lewis said this, to be a Christian means to forgive the inexcusable because God has forgiven the inexcusable in you. We need to be people that offer grace to others the way it's offered, been offered to us in hopes that they would receive it the same way we've received it, in hopes that they would take it from their own hearts. Believers can develop some pretty bad attitudes sometimes, unforgiveness towards others. The Bible says if you don't forgive others, you'll not be forgiven. Self-righteousness. How, how, can, we, how can we forget where we came from? Judgmental. Well, they're evil and they deserve it. You're evil and you deserve it. I'm evil and I deserve it. Aren't you glad we didn't get what we deserve? We get forgiveness. And we get harsh. So I want to tell you a little bit of my story. <clears throat> Some of you know it. I won't go into great detail, but I, I wanted to try to illustrate the difference between um, judgmental people and people who offer grace and use my own life. <clears throat> Excuse me. I am a, um, I was a prodigal, raised in church, and uh, when I went to college, I, I fell away immediately. I went to a school called George Fox, and there's, it's a Christian school, and I'm living proof that there can be the wrong kind of people at Christian schools sometimes. And um, I'm not proud of it. I'm actually a little bit ashamed of it, but, but I'm willing to tell the story, and here's why. Because if I humble myself to show you how bad I was, perhaps you'll see how good his grace is. So I, I was kind of a rebel there and in, some tr- in and out of trouble my first year and I transferred to play basketball to another college which will remain unnamed. And you'll see why in a moment. At that college during spring break, I went out with some guys and, um, and I did some things that I signed in a form that said I wouldn't do. I sinned. And I broke the rules. And they caught me. And I'm just going to shorten the story. Some of you, I've, I've told it many times here, and I tell it because I, I just want people to know. I want prodigals to know that Jesus will take you and he loves you. I'm a prodigal. They suspended me from a Christian school, Christian college, for three weeks. Now, I, I really think they did the right thing there because I believe discipline can help uh, believers. And I had... I found out that everything my parents had told me, it was true, that if you cross the lines in sin, you'll hurt yourself and you'll hurt others around you too. And God loves you so much, he doesn't see you or others hurt. Well, I crossed some lines and um, embarrassed myself and uh, hurt my parents, although they offered me awesome grace in those moments. 
But three weeks after I came back, I'm suspended, I come back to school, what happened was I decided I want to follow him. The discipline shook me enough to wake me up and say, man, I am messed up here. I don't want to do this anymore. I want to follow Jesus. So I, I, I started the journey, my own journey, somewhere in those three weeks. But when I got back to school, when I first hit that campus, this, this is absolutely true, no one would look at me. The students that I knew and had talked to before would act like they didn't see me. And they wouldn't talk to me. And I ended up making some jokes about it, but it hurt. And this is what it was saying to me. You're not as good as us. You've messed up and proven who you really are. It's never gonna be the same for us again. Okay. Now maybe that's not what they meant to say, but that's what I felt. So I, I transferred back to George Fox where I had been somewhat of a rebel that first year. I went back there and thought, you know, those are good people. I wanna, I wanna go back and get this right. So I go back and in this chapel, I'm sitting with 800 students. Ron Cresselius, who led the chapel service as a pastor and a professor there, at the end of the service said, I want Stan Russell to come up here and pray. And it was almost like a stir in the crowd. Like a little bit of... Because I'm the rebel. And I was shaken. I mean, I went up and prayed the dumbest prayer you have ever heard in your life in front of 800 students. And afterwards, that little chubby preacher came up to me, Ron, and he said, that was awesome. I said, not really. He said, oh, it was awesome to me. Man, did you see a forgiven heart? He goes, God has stuff for you, man. In those moments, he was showing me something, but he was showing 800 students something too. Jesus extends forgiveness. God will not keep records of wrong against us. Now, I still battled for a while because I just thought, hey, I can't preach because I messed up. I finally yielded to the fact that God could make a trophy out of my life just like everybody else's because he forgives. I want you to know he'll forgive you. I want your loved ones who believe that the church is against him to know the real heart of Christ. If you look too hard at the behavior, you'll miss the important emphasis of loving. Well, I'll close with this verse, Ephesians 2.3. All of us used to live that way following the passionate desires and inclinations of our sinful nature. By our very nature, we were subject to God's anger, just like everyone else. But God is so rich in mercy, and he loved us so much, that even though we were dead because of our sin, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It is only by God's grace that you have been saved.
wow, he's done that for me. He's done that for you. He's done that for us. Don't we want it for everybody else too? Can't we be those that would love them so much that they would see Jesus in a better way? Not judgment, but mercy.